0: One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time, too.
1: Screen time, screen time. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters, we watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah, And I have two kids, Jay, he's five, and Kenny, he's two.
0: And I have three kids, Tony is 11, and Libby and Nate are eight. And they sure are adorable, aren't they? So adorable. We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, Because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms, too. What have your duo been doing lately?
1: Well, I'm just struck by how I can never predict how they're going to act, no matter how well I think I know my children. So we've been spending some more beach time lately, and we're about to spend even more beach time this weekend. And Jay, who I always think of as my slightly more timid and cautious child is like very into the beach right now. And he's not, he doesn't seem to be intimidated by the waves. He wants to be in the water and that's awesome. Whereas Kenny, who to my mind has always been the more fearless of the two is just not having any of it. Oh, I was just really surprised. I'm sure we'll give him a whole weekend at the beach and he'll get over it. But it just goes to show that like, people man we got layers even as children
0: (laughs) that sounds lovely though to spend a week at the beach it's not warm enough here so this morning I took a shower out of my (laughs) regular routine and that like totally threw things off and so Libby didn't pack her lunch until like right before it was time to leave for school and she realized that she didn't have a lunch to take with her so jeremy libby nate and i all scrambled and nate was like grabbing things out of the cupboard and out of the refrigerator and just throwing it in libby's lunchbox and he was like she likes yogurt she likes applesauce and like i love it when my kids are nice to one another oh so that was pretty adorable
1: That's really sweet, too. And plus, he was like, she likes yogurt. She likes applesauce. He wasn't like, she likes ho-ho. She likes ding-dongs. So presumably, (laughs) she has a pretty healthy lunch. Compliments of her brother.
0: (laughs) That's right. Let's move on to screen time in the news. I'm really excited to discuss this Vulture article published on April 28th, titled Inside Netflix's Quest to End Scrolling by Joseph Adalian. It's a perfect time to discuss how streaming has changed our viewing habits because Mira, Royal Detective, our topic for the day, has been a victim of streaming. We never caught it because we never just turn on the TV and flip to Disney Junior anymore. Mm-hmm. So this article was about a new Netflix, relatively new Netflix feature titled Play Something, which is a mode that you can turn on to help indecisive viewers find something to watch and and so this article goes into pretty good detail about like how it works and what it is and it they're just trying to mimic like old timey tv where you turn on the television and just watch what's on (laughs) but curated for you because the algorithm knows what you like and can anticipate what you desire to watch, even if you don't know that that show exists.
1: Right. And they talked about how Netflix tried unveiling this feature a long time ago and people hated it and they're trotting it out again now. And I can totally see how in the past this wouldn't have worked for Netflix at all. Because remember when Netflix was like only second tier movies that had plots somewhat similar to actual movies you wanted to watch?
0: Yeah. So I am definitely one of the people that suffers from decision fatigue, Mm -hmm. and so I welcome this feature because I do spend like quite a bit of time for the podcast and for just my own entertainment reasons, like reading articles about new shows and movies, and like keeping a list on my phone of things I want to watch and where I can find them. And so if I like that takes up quite a bit of time, so. If Netflix can eliminate that and show me season four of Ozark, which, <laughs> or are we only on season three? It's not out yet. That's all I want to watch.
1: <laughs> I thought it was canceled. There's more coming.
0: Oh, I don't know. But Jeremy and I tried play something and it just gave us a bunch of Pokemon movies. Because <laughs> you don't have your kids' profiles separated. No. So it was a pretty pretty harsh failure for us I have like two more thoughts okay so at one point in the article they quote somebody who said Netflix had like 4,000 engineers and then that was corrected to say they only have 2,500 engineers but like 2,500 engineers working to figure out what America wants to watch and like we have
1: so many other problems doesn't that seem indulgent well I mean, not, not to get too big picture on you, but isn't that why the pharmaceuticals produce Viagra? Like, it's not about solving the big problems. It's about solving the profitable ones.
0: Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and I did, they quoted a Netflix executive that talked about how more shows is better shows because it's like bringing in more diverse voices and stories that haven't been told yet and employing a lot of creative people. So that's all good. But then I read it through like our librarian lens, former librarian, library school lens. And I just don't think that AI can do all this work. I think that they could definitely use some human, like a human touch here, like a reader's advisory.
1: And particularly with the play something feature If it's all based on your current algorithm, is there going to be something in there to boost more diverse content to show you something that you might not fall back on? Or is it all going to be just like, look, we know what you've watched in the past. This is the stuff you'll like in the future. Because if that's the case, the whole argument about more content being better from a diversity perspective is kind of moot.
0: That's a really good point, Katie.
1: Kevin and I tried it. And we're a little stricter with our profiles than you are. That's so smart. we're pretty careful about having the kids stuff in the kids profile. But we have separate profiles. And it was hard to discern, like, whose we should use for the play something. Because mm. mine, you know, has a lot of cooking reality shows. And Kevin's has a lot of shows where people are shot um so we had to kind of choose between them we ended up with kevin's profile and they fed us that like new superhero show with the guy i always think is timothy oliphant at first um okay and you know we made it through about 15 minutes of that before it was bedtime and it seemed fine so i guess it saved time uh, was nice. it great no but do you expect anything when your channel surfing to be great
0: I don't think I ever expected to turn on the TV and find something mind-blowingly good. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to be, like,
1: sedated for a little bit back when all we had was linear television. We have started, uh, we've shifted the kids' bedtimes back a little bit later, which we feel like is good for them. And then I've also decided that I would like to start waking up earlier in the morning, which just cuts down on our already very slim grown-up programming consumption time. So maybe this Play Everything feature will be exactly what we need. Yeah, no wasting time scrolling. All right, so do we have any follow-up from our last episode? I know we talked about how Kid Cosmic was kind of seemed like kind of a perfect programming choice for the whole copper da family have you sat down and watched it together at all one evening <laughs> libby and tony lost their screen privileges
0: so nate got to pick what to watch and he and i watched a couple episodes of kids cosmic and it was delightful oh i haven't great. finished the first season but the additional episodes i watched were good nice and then I texted you this past weekend to let you know that my kids let me pick the movie for family movie night, which I rarely get to choose. And so we watched Newsies, the one with Christian Bale, and everybody loved it. And it was really fun. I had actually never seen it before before. I know it was one of your favorites. I
1: know you can't see my face right now, but I'm so happy, listeners. You should see the smile. It's just bursting through the computer screen.
0: It was really enjoyable. I want to watch the stage version now,
1: and I think my kids are on board with that, too. I mean, it's like the perfect vehicle to introduce your kids to so many things. The awesomeness of musicals and like having a social conscience and union organizing. Mm Mm-hmm. Plus, who is Anne Margaret? Does she play the um, vaudevillian
0: yes. lady? Okay. That is a movie that would not pass the Bechtel
1: test. No, because there really
0: aren't any women, are there? Well, and they don't talk to... I think the Bechdel test is like two women talking to each other about something other than a man. And like I don't think any women talk to a, any a no- other women yeah. in the movie.
1: And they have to be named, too, which... I think there are probably two named female characters in the whole movie, right? The vaudeville singer and David's sister. I don't Mm -hmm. even think his mother gets a name. Right. Yeah, that's a downer. I'm trying to think if the stage version is any better on that front. We get at least one more named female character, but I don't know that she talks to any other women. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm glad you watched Newsies, and you liked it, and you really just made me want to watch it with the boys again. (laughs) Which, weirdly, they're more into the stage version than the movie, which I guess I'm kind of fine with. I bet the choreography is really fun to see. It is really fun to see. It's well done, and they tweaked the plot a little bit to change some of the annoying things. All right. Well, as we mentioned up top, today's topic is the Disney Junior series Mira, Royal Detective, which is a half-hour animated show that premiered on March 20th of 2020. (laughs) Kind of not a surprise that it slipped below our radar, because I don't know if you guys remember, but March 2020 kind of had some stuff going on. So we maybe didn't have our finger on the pulse, and it's not a streaming show. It's a regular old Disney Junior show that requires you to turn on the television at a certain time. And for better or worse, that's just kind of fallen away in our repertoire. The second season just recently debuted here in April of 2021. So the whole first season is now available on Disney Plus, which is what helped us be able to watch it and review it for you today. So it was created by Becca Topol, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Uh, She formerly worked on Elena of Avalor, which is a show we reviewed way, 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 way back in the beginning of the podcast. But as I recall, we liked it quite a bit. This show, Mira, Royal Detective, is about an eight-year-old girl who solves mysteries for friends, family, and royalty with the help of two mongoose? Mongoose? (laughs) mongooses i honestly don't know the plural and i i watched several episodes of this show but i don't know that they ever use the plural of mongoose anyway (laughs) they live in the fictional land of jalpur and uh, mira has been declared the royal detective for the whole of the kingdom and the show highlights various aspects of indian culture like dance food dress and music so, moving on to how we picked it, you know we love things that introduce an element of diversity into our children's programming. And we thought it might be a good time to do a straight-ahead preschool show that didn't require quite the element of serialization that we've been dealing with lately, our past couple of reviews. If you listen to our show, you know that Deborah loves Parna Nancharla. I think I heard
0: her on Phoebe Robinson's podcast, Two Dope Queens, because she would
1: have like comedians do a little bit of a set. Okay. Um, Well, she provides some voice acting for this show. So, you know, it was on Deborah's list. And I just love a good detective story. And I'm trying to indoctrinate my children with a love of whodunits early. So this seemed like a good pick. We watched... Season 1, Episode 1, Mystery of the Royal Scarf slash Case of the Missing Bicycle. In case you can't tell from that delivery, each of these episodes is cut into a shorter 15-minute, well, 11 to 15-minute mini-episode in the way of standard preschool programming. We also watched Episode 8, Case of the Secret Treasure slash The Mysterious Polo Player, And we watched episode 20, The Miku Mystery slash The Case of the Getaway Goats. So we'll quickly go through the episodes one by one, and then we'll move on to our more general thoughts. Deborah, do you want to take us through Mystery of the Royal Scarf and Case of the Missing Bicycle? Sure.
0: So in season one, episode one, Mira, royal detective, uses very solid and practical detective skills to
1: find an important scarf. And
0: her friend Spike.
1: Yeah, I like how in the vein of some of the best detective series and movies, she uses the same tools to solve every case. You know, she jots down her notes in her little notebook. And when she thinks she has found the clue that will unravel the mystery, she takes a minute. She stops. She says, let's think this through. And she looks back at all the clues. I liked that as like a structuring device. Mm -hmm. And she's very dogged like her
0: friends were like there's no way we can possibly look through every red shopping bag in this whole city and Mira is like yes we can and that is how we are going to find the scarf.
1: Yeah she doesn't shy away from how boring detective work can be. (laughs) (laughs) In The Mysterious Polo Player and The Case of the Secret Treasure Mira and her friends form a polo team but they're not very good until they get help from a mysterious masked polo player who they later discover is one of the royal princes and in case of the secret treasure they follow a hidden treasure map to the workshop of a former royal queen any thoughts specific to this episode
0: what was the treasure it didn't seem like that great of a treasure.
1: Yeah, she just hid the room where she did her work, which it was just one of those like self-indulgent, let me prove how smart I am by making this inconsequential thing difficult to find.
0: Yeah, the clues were really clever, like the little puzzle pieces that fit together. It made me think of which I have never done one of these, but an escape room and how like the joy is just in figuring out the puzzles. Right.
1: Yeah. It's not in the prize because you know, they're going to let you out of the room, even if you don't find the right. <laughs> <laughs> in episode 20, that's the last one we
0: watched. Um, Miku is one of, he's a mongoose voiced by Cal Pen, and Mira spends that portion of the episode finding out why Miku's been
1: scared And running away from situations. I so related to Miku in this episode because I do not like it when things jump unexpectedly either. Yeah, yeah. It was like a little frog. It was like a jack-in-the-box frog almost. Like you pushed it down and it was going to hop and you knew it was going to hop. But the tension was that you didn't know when it was going to hop. And you can tell I've given this a lot of thought because it's exactly the kind of thing that would scare me.
0: Yeah it's not fun to be startled and then in the case of The Getaway Goats I like spent most of this episode like trying to figure out which episode Aparna Nontrula was in <laughs> It just turns out she's just she was just in the first episode that yeah. we watched she plays the boutique or owner who's trying on all the
1: clothes so I the plot of Getaway Goats escaped me See, I thought you'd like this one because the it was sort of a Pied Piper situation where all the mm-hmm. pet goats were following this girl who was playing a certain tune on her musical instrument. And it was actually a little bit of a, and again, I'm going to use a word that I'm not 100% clear on how to pronounce out loud. It was a primer in like traditional Indian instruments because the thing was, one of the big clues was we heard this song being played on an instrument We're not sure what the song was, and we're not sure what instrument it was. So the music teacher in town went through several different instruments and like explained what they were called before they figured out which one had lured the goats away. I thought that would be right up your street.
0: It was, but I was just went down an IMDb (laughs) rabbit hole. I mean, it was like the sixth half episode in a row, so my attention was waning. I will have to go back and listen to it because I – like the different modes in Indian music culture are very intriguing to me and I know nothing about them I just have like a western musical education Mm -hmm. yeah
1: although the uh, we're jumping around all over the place the theme song and the little song that Mira sings before she takes on any case total earworms like I don't know about you but I've been singing both of those around the house nonstop this week
0: very catchy.
1: All right. So obviously we've kind of moved on already. Let's kind of take a step back and talk about the basic concept and plot of the show. Did you like it, Deborah? I liked it. I like a good girl detective story, like Harriet the Spy were
0: books that I really was a book I really enjoyed when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. The kids in the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler. Like that's one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. And they're solving a puzzle. In that, I read some Nancy Drew. So this was a show I kind of knew I was going to like going into it. How about you?
1: Yeah, I don't think there was any question that we were favorably disposed to this show before watching it. It's always a little hard just mentally to take a step back from the heavily serialized shows into the world of preschool shows. I feel like just based on timing for when Jay was born... Like the last regular TV show that we would just happen upon and it accidentally became one of our kids' favorites was Paw Patrol. And we just haven't had that kind of, I hate to call it serendipity because that makes it sound unequivocally positive, but we haven't had that kind of like stumbled upon experience with a show since. So all of this kind of class of shows are outside my realm of experience before we review them for the podcast and they're probably Mm -hmm. outside your realm of experience because your kids are a little old for them now
0: yeah my kids are older and like super opinionated about they want about what they want to watch and sadly they're way more inclined to go to youtube than to turn on the linear television and find something on a kid's channel
1: you know what would be terrifying a youtube play something function It would just be like, we will feed you more vitriol and hate without you having to lift a finger. They kind of already do that. Yeah. My one nitpick with the concept of this show is why do all the shows that are coded, and to be fair, this show can be for both boys and girls, but because it has a young female protagonist, I feel like it's at least slightly coded to being for girls. Why do they all have to be royalty adjacent? Like, I know Mira is not a princess. It's not stereotypical in that way. But it does have to be, like, somehow wrapped up with the royal family. Like, I wrote this in our notes, but why can't we have a show about the baker with his tray, like, always? Why does it always have to center around this concept of royalty, which is essentially meaningless in our regular everyday lives?
0: Yeah, I wondered if it maybe was because the creator came from the Elena of Avalor world.
1: And I know that we're talking about the Disney Corporation here and the princess brand has been very lucrative. So like you could see why they created Elena from like a crass commercial standpoint. Like they wanted Mm -hmm. a princess that was Hispanic or Latina so they could bring that into the fold and sell more merch, right? Right. So Mira is like a small step away from that. I don't know. It's just a lot of princesses, I guess, is my point. Maybe it's because I have boys and like I don't have that much need for princesses in my life. I guess if the princess attraction is what gets your kids to watch this show and it has other side benefits, maybe that's a good... Am I overthinking this?
0: No, I think you're asking legit questions. These are good things to ponder.
1: As usual, I have no answers, but questions, (laughs) I am full of them. Just full of them. Soggy samosas. Soggy samosas. Cast of characters. My goodness, we've got a who's who of a South Asian cast or a cast of South Asian descent because a lot of these people are actually from the United States. So, in addition to Deborah's favorite, Aparna Nancharla, we have Frida Pinto, we have Utkarsh Ambudkar, Kalpen, Asif Manvi, Jamila Jamil, Jamila Jamil my pronunciation is crap let's just get that out of the way (laughs) we have oh what is the guy who was in the DuckTales and Community what is his name um Danny Pudi okay so we have a lot of names that we know what did you think about the cast
0: I liked it I liked Cal Penn as the bongoose he was very funny I really enjoyed so Prince Neil and Prince Fear I really liked their dynamic it was very like William Prince William like (laughs) adhering to all the stuffy traditions and like Prince Harry like moving to Canada
1: Oh my goodness, I did not think about that, but yeah, definitely the older prince is insufferable, but the younger prince is like friends with Mira, always willing to help, he'll step in and be mongoose number two if needed, like, yeah, that's totally the dynamic, you're right.
0: (laughs) But it was fun, the characters were likable, and that's
1: (laughs) that's all I've got it's a big world and it's clear that like this is their whole world but it feels like a small town Mm -hmm. yeah and as someone who like longs for that sense of community in my own life I'm always attracted to that did you have
0: any thoughts on the animation um I thought that the colors were very vibrant appropriately so some of the like Disney does this a lot like it places things in you think it's going to be like a world that was like hundreds of years ago, but then like kids are wearing bike helmets, <laughs> but there aren't any like motorized vehicles. So I know it's a fictional land, so I can't really complain, but I've felt this way watching other Disney properties, like when and where is this? Yeah. <laughs> because there's a lot of like dissonance.
1: Yeah, there's they're very careful about the safety messaging that they put out there because when they go on the treasure hunt and they find like the boat that they have to take through the underground river and it was done by, you know, the young prince's great grandmother, there's like a stash of life vests right there for them to take, <laughs> which I appreciate yeah. from a safety
0: standpoint,
1: but maybe not <laughs> the most logical.
0: Yeah. What did you think about the animation?
1: It definitely had shades of Elena as far as the look of it. For sure. (laughs) There was one, and I definitely loved all the vibrant colors, all the aspect of the Indian culture. They kept, they went to the park in several episodes. And the park is this big green space with like very intricate patterns in the grass. And just from a parenting perspective, I was like, how do children play there? Like, how would they maintain that, those like delicate whirls of grass coloring? My kids would destroy that in a nanosecond. (laughs) Are the kids in Mira's world just like that much more conscientious? They're too busy playing with their scary springy frog toys and they just don't mess up the grass. Well, when Mira had to babysit,
0: the little toddler, Mm -hmm. they were like keeping him out of the mud puddles. He was not going to get dirty.
1: And there was a lot of mud because everyone has a pet goat in this (laughs) world. Which, speaking of animation and character design, the only way to make a world full of pet goats work is to not give them realistic, terrifying goat eyes. Like, do you know what goat eyes look like? They're really freaky. They are they, like slits look in two different like, directions. Yeah, like rectangular horizontal slits. There is nothing cozy or cute about goat eyes. So <laughs> it was an interesting choice to have everyone have a pet goat. All right, let's get to it because I know this is your Baluick. Talk to me about the music.
0: I liked it. It was very like sitar infused. We talked a little bit about that when discussing what I missed in Getaway Goats. <laughs> There was one funny like rap in (laughs) episode 20 where one of the meerkats or not meerkats is doing a rap and I laughed out loud. That was very entertaining.
1: Yeah. Well, because I think Utkarsh Ambudkar is a freestyle rapper. So I imagine that they must use that more than once in the context of the show. Yeah.
0: And I liked the, the dancing also.
1: Yeah, the show has a dedicated dance consultant, which, you know, made me super happy to see. I tried to a little bit when we were picking out the episodes to watch for the show. I tried to kind of look and see if I could find dance-specific episodes, and I wasn't terribly successful because I feel like the only one that had an extended dance sequence was the mysterious polo player, maybe? Um, and it was, like, kind of all the townspeople dancing together like you would see. When I saw it, it reminded me of a stage musical, but I think the reference was probably to a Bollywood musical. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then I just did some idle YouTubing, and they have, like, whole compilations of these dance with Mira segments. So they must play them as interstitials again on the regular linear television that we are now so bad at watching that are just, you know, between shows, they'll have a little segment that's dance with Mira. And she teaches you a different dance based on something the characters are doing, which I thought was really sweet. That's cute. So what did you think about going back to the classic preschool show structure of the short 15 minute episodes bundled into half hour chunks? It felt very anodyne, soothing,
0: like you know what, is good, what to expect. I think it's very good for preschoolers.
1: There is something to be said for the comfort of a good formula, and the show definitely had its formula that every episode followed, and it was nice to kind of sink into that vibe. Mm-hmm. Were you able to compare this to any movie or shows for grown-ups? Um, the movie, The Namesake... Is that with Penn?
0: Yeah, he's in it. It's kind of an older movie, but it's based on one of my favorite books by Jhumpa Lahiri. So good. Um, And just kind of like, I mean, the culture, the music, the colors reminded me a little bit of the aesthetics of that film. How about you? It's been a really long time
1: since I've seen that. I should look it up again. It's not as good as the book. They rarely are. Yeah. Well, you know, I went straight to like my back catalog of detective fiction and uh, detective shows for grownups that I really like. So the one that I thought of immediately was Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which does not take place in India. It takes place in Australia, but it does feature a plucky female detective that is not a member of law enforcement, which... Thinking about it, it was actually kind of hard for me to come up with detective shows that weren't about police forces or police force-adjacent people. Mm-hmm. Did you cast a gritty HBO reboot? I had to do it. Okay. I would
0: title it Mayor of Easttown, Royal Detective. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be a spinoff of Mayor of Easttown, which is set in Pennsylvania. But Kate Winslet would be hired by... A royal family somewhere and she would bring her <laughs> Pennsylvania accent and like I, I don't know where she shops like a farm supply store <laughs> for her clothes on that show she'd bring her like shabby flannel to a royal court somewhere and she'd solve some freaking mysteries
1: <laughs> I like it, it it's almost <laughs> like an Anna and the King sort of situation <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now I'm picturing uh, Kate Winslet in The Mayor of Easttown in The King and I, and it's just a whole new level. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I pulled out two of my favorite voice actors from the cast, or Deborah's favorite, Aparna Nancharla <laughs> and Jamila Jamil, because in the show, Aparna Nancharla plays like a kind of bratty... Girl, and obviously Jamila Jamila is best known for her role as Tahani on The Good Place. So I wanted kind of a detective show where the two of them, while being extremely self absorbed, also kind of happen to solve mysteries. Like it's kind of an accident that it happens. Like I- how
0: Rami and Michelle's.
1: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, because Mysteries. they're obviously not <laughs> in it for solvers. the good of anyone else. Like, they're, <laughs> they're not doing it from any sort of altruistic place. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's funny. So the question is, as always, was it better when we were kids? No, definitely not.
0: We didn't have this type of show that just takes place in an entirely, like, there were no shows based in a fictional Indian land when we were kids.
1: Yeah, okay, so the thinking nowadays is, let's make preschool shows that will introduce kids to other cultures and other ways of looking at the world. And the thinking when we were children was, let's produce preschool shows to introduce kids to different breakfast cereals. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we have come leaps and bounds, and I, for one, am glad of it. Yeah, yeah. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? No. No, but I will happily be singing the theme song alone voluntarily. Well, no, more like involunt- voluntarily, at least until we choose our next show to cover. <laughs> Ten seconds on whether this is good for our kids.
0: I think this is good. I think my kids are a little on the older end. They're not going to be super into it, but I already recommended it to a friend of mine.
1: Yeah, I watched, I guess, an episode and a half of the ones we watched for today's review with my kids, and they both seemed into it. The antics of the mongooses uh, were very entertaining to Kenny in particular, Jay was super intrigued by the music because it's not like anything that he has heard before. So he was like, this is weird. Is this even music? He wants to like dialogue about it very explicitly, which I am into. But it also, without me bringing it up, has made him be like, I want to watch some more Elena of Avalor. So it's reminded him of that show, too.
0: That's a good one, too.
1: Ratings? I would give it a four. It was solid. Same. I thought it was solid. I think, sadly, listeners, the older our kids get, the less we're going to be able to give like super enthusiastic five-plus reviews to preschool shows, just because we might be a little sick of watching them. Yeah. (laughs) But we're trying. We're trying to give our hearts to new preschool shows, and I think Mira did a standout job. Well, thank you for
0: listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the socials like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even on Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children. And our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye.